0: And the case is submitted. We'll hear argument next to number 911513, United States Department of the Treasury versus George Fave. I get a different angle on every time I, I read or hear, or hear about it. Me too.
1: I think the three-judge court did a poor job. I side. think they did too. My job at
0: Mr. Long, you may proceed.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. For more than 200 years, Congress has determined the priority of federal claims against insolvent debtors. The Federal Priority Statute, Section 3713 of Title 31, provides that claims of the United States in non-bankruptcy proceedings shall be paid first. This court has repeatedly held that only the plainest inconsistency would warrant our finding an implied exception to the operation of so clear a command. The question in this case is whether the McCarran Ferguson Act created an exception to the clear command of Section 3713. In our view, it did not, and our argument has three basic points. First, the McCarran Act exemption applies to the business of insurance. A state statute regulating the priority of claims against the estate of an insolvent insurance company does not regulate any business activity of insurance companies. Consequently, it is not a regulation of the business of insurance within the ordinary meaning of those words. Second, the state priority statute does not possess the three characteristics of a regulation of the business of insurance identified in this court's decisions. It does not result in the transfer or spreading of risk. It is not an integral part of the contractual relationship between insurer and insured, and it involves entities wholly outside the insurance industry.
3: Well, um, may I ask, Mr. Long, why the statute doesn't uh perhaps meet the national securities test Um, since it is aimed at protecting uh, directly or indirectly the relationship between the insurer and the insured to the extent that it it covers the payout in the event of insolvency i mean there to that extent it seems to perhaps meet the test
2: well let me give a two-part answer to that question maybe
3: not the whole statute but insofar as if it, it protects the insured
2: well I, first of all i think the test that this court has developed mm-hmm. in cases since national securities is is a three-part test it it's considerably narrower than simply whether the uh, state regulation has some effect Uh, on the uh, risk that the policyholder will not be paid. Uh, We think that test would be too broad if it were simply reduced back to that single factor. The other part of the answer is, in fact, the priority statute has relatively little to do with whether a policyholder's claim is paid. Of course, it only comes into play in the event that the insurer becomes insolvent, and that's likely to be viewed as a... uh, a relatively unlikely event by a policyholder. If it does happen, though, the real insurance against insolvency... Well, it's more
3: likely these days, isn't it? It it, might be a real concern.
2: It may be more likely these days, and if it is a real concern of a uh, policyholder, the real insurance against insolvency is not the priority statute. It is insurance guarantee funds, which have been established by all 50 states to pay claims of policyholders in the event the insurance company becomes dissolved. That may dissolved. be,
3: but I, I still think to the extent that the statute tries to deal with this situation, that it may very well uh, be covered by McCarron ferguson
2: Well, to the extent that it does and that it meets the other factors that this court has identified, uh, it could be, but uh, as, as I say, we don't think that it, it is has a, uh, is sufficiently close to the contractual relationship. It only applies in the event of insolvency, then the guarantee fund is what steps in to pay the claims. And, you know, if the policyholder were required to rely on the priority statute, it would not provide a very good assurance because...
0: Well, it would provide something, wouldn't it?
2: Well, only if there are enough assets in the estate of the defunct insurer to pay policyholder claims after paying— Which
0: varies from uh, reorganization to, or insolvency to insolvency. It, it, that's you correct. You can't say categorically that the policyholders might not be helped by by some sort of insolvency proceeding
2: uh, I cannot—in the event that uh, there is an insolvency and the Guarantee Fund does not cover a claim— If the assets of the insolvent insurance company were sufficient, it is true that a policyholder might recover a a portion of his claim, I would think, in the typical case, in an unusual case, the entire claim. But but that possibility is is not enough to bring the statute within the regulation of the business of insurance. Well, you
0: said in your opening statement that you were going to show that this was not the business of insurance, as that term is ordinarily used. I think if you just take the term as ordinarily used, you would say this did regulate the business of insurance.
2: Well, we think it does not come within the ordinary meaning of the business of insurance because it doesn't regulate any business activity of insurers. There are, of course, state laws that are designed
0: to regulate Well, in, certainly uh, insolvency may be the last step in the business.
2: Well, but at, this, at the point where this statute comes into play the insurance company has been declared insolvent all of its assets have been taken over by a liquidator its business has been wound up and the question is who gets the assets there are different categories of claimants lined up and uh,
0: but surely the the how those assets are disposed of can, can very plausibly be argued to be a part of the business of insurance you know how do you liquidate an insurance company when it goes bust
2: well and as i say in our view uh, it's it's not, because it's not a regulation of the business activities of the insurers. It should not be held to be a regulation of the business of insurance. Uh, and we don't think it meets the three-part test that this court has identified, which is considerably more discriminating than simply a question of whether this statute may lead to the payment of a policyholder's claim. And even to the extent you focus on that single factor, we think that the priority statute is, is really not uh, a very good protection in most cases. It's not something a policyholder, when he enters into a uh, policy of insurance, is likely to think about as an important protection. Uh, there may be an analogy to, if you deposit your money in a bank, you might think about the federal deposit insurance, that's equivalent to the uh, guarantee fund. It's unlikely you would think, well, now the priority of claims in the event of insolvency is something that's also important. It's, it's simply too remote from the contract of insurance.
1: Well, in, insurance companies are rated for solvency and, and financial strength all the time, and that's one of the first things a policyholder looks to. Well, And, and, I... and, and, it, and it seems to me that uh, when a policyholder, especially a major policyholder, looks at an insurance company, he looks at the strength of its assets. I think that's, I think that's the most, one of the most critical determinants in, in, in your choice of, of insurance companies. And, and you're, you, you say that it's irrelevant the moment the insurance company goes out of business.
2: Well, of course, this statute applies if the state's regulations that are designed to protect the, the solvency of insurance companies fail and the insurance company is, is, is not solvent. But then the protection is the guarantee fund. That's what uh, ensures that the claim is paid. Uh, Let me discuss the the three factors that this court has identified as uh, relevant to determining whether a statute regulates the business of insurance, because the test is broader than than simply uh, uh, whether the statute was enacted to protect policyholders or whether it may affect the likelihood of a claim being paid. In the variable annuity life insurance case, the court concluded that the concept of insurance must involve some investment risk-taking on the part of the company. In the national securities case, the court held that the federal securities laws applied to a merger of insurance companies that had been approved by state insurance regulators. It concluded that the McCarran Act did not make the state supreme in regulating all the activities of insurance companies and that state laws aimed at protecting the interests of shareholders are not laws regulating the business of insurance. Then in uh, the royal drug case, the court held that agreements uh, between an insurer and pharmacies to supply prescription drugs to policyholders were not part of the business of insurance. And most recently, in Union Labor Life Insurance against Perino, the court held that an insurer's use of a peer review committee to determine whether policyholder claims are covered by the insurance contract is also not the business of insurance. So the court has developed a a three-factor test, and it's a rather demanding test to define the boundaries of the business of insurance. Uh, The practice must have the effect of transferring or spreading risk from the policyholder to the insurance company, it must be an integral part of the policy relationship, and it must be limited to entities in the insurance industry. And the Ohio Priority Statute fails that demanding three-part test. Uh, what
4: part does it fail? In our view, it, it fails makes two out of three anyway,
2: In our view, it fails all all three parts of the test. The questions you've been asking go to whether it's an integral part. Um, of the relationship between the policyholder and the insurance company. We think it fails that part and, and clearly fails the other two parts as well. I can briefly uh, explain our reasoning. We think it, it clearly does not involve any transfer uh, of risk from the policyholder to the insurance company. It just sherman 's the, the, the order. Perino,
4: Perino is explicit on that, isn't it?
2: I think Perino is explicit on that. Yes, it says that the, uh, the risk is transferred at the time the contract is entered and whether or not the claim uh, is paid is, is not what the transfer of risk is all about. And there's also no risk spreading because that requires independent risks. Here we're talking about the risk of insolvency. All the policyholders and indeed all the creditors of the insurance company face precisely the same risk. Um, so let me turn to the second factor, which is the, the, the one that is uh, troubling you, whether it's an integral part of the relationship between the insurer and the insured. Now, again, in Perino, the court defined that rather narrowly. It, it noted first that it was distinct from the question whether the, con- the insurance contract is valid and the amount of the policyholder's claim under the contract, And that's true here as well. This is quite separate from that. Uh, And the Priority Statute also doesn't address the relationship between the insurer and insured. It really addresses the relationship among all the creditors of this insurance company that's become insolvent. And, of course, many of those creditors are not uh, policyholders, and some of them come uh, ahead of policyholders. And uh, as we were discussing earlier, uh, we don't believe that the Ohio statute so closely affects the reliability, interpretation, and enforcement of the contract as to satisfy this factor. We concede that it has some effect on the reliability in the sense that it may, uh, in some cases, determine whether a part of a policyholder claim or, in a very unusual case, the entire claim, uh, is paid, but this court's decisions make clear that some effect is not enough. Broadly viewed, uh, any state regulation of insurance could be said to affect uh, the reliability of the insurance contract. Certainly, in Perino, uh, the peer review committee, which the very purpose of it was to decide whether claims were covered and should be paid, I, that you could argue certainly could argue that that was rather close to the.
1: In the same argument, if. Uh if uh, administrative expenses and wages weren't uh, also prior to the United States claim?
2: Yes, we we would be making the same argument. We think the fact but,
1: that... But the policyholders would be much more benefited then, I suppose.
2: Yes, they would, they would be in an even better position, but again, uh, if we don't think it meets the three-part test. It's not a regulation of the business of insurance, and the well,
1: I suppose the business of insurance includes uh, 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 living up to their contract to uh, pay claims. Well, uh, which the policy requires them to do if they've got the assets, I suppose. We
2: we are not suggesting that that factor is not a part of this court's analysis. We're suggesting, though, it is only a part, and that it's, that it is not sufficient by itself to bring this. Uh, uh, state statute within the regulation of the business of insurance.
1: Well, I wonder what a policyholder would say about that, that it isn't part of the,
2: well, as part I say, of the
1: uh, business of insurance to pay what he's been uh, uh, remitting his premiums for.
2: Well, I, I think a policyholder looks first to the soundness of the insurance company and if the insurance company fails to these guarantee funds. Uh, the priority statute is is really not something the uh, policyholder is likely to think about or rely on, and indeed he would be quite unwise to rely on it because it would rarely uh, result in the payment of his claims. Uh, and we also, let me mention briefly the third Perino factor. We think it's clear that this is not limited to entities within the insurance industry. It involves all types of claims, including uh, claims of suppliers of goods and services. But
0: you know, they're claims against the insurance company, aren't they?
2: Well, they're all claims against the insurance company, but in, in Royal Drug, the contracts with the pharmacies were all claims involving insurance companies.
0: Well, uh, but in- I, uh, a lot of that language in, in the earlier cases is, is dicta. I mean, you, don't, you didn't need that to decide those cases.
2: Well, it was a factor, it was clearly a factor that the court relied on in in both Royal Drug and Perino. The court was not clear about which factors were necessary to the decision of its case, but it was a a part of its analysis It's become uh, an established part of the test for uh, the business of insurance. It is one factor to consider. Let me mention uh, a third argument we have, which I uh, haven't gotten to yet, which in many ways I think is our is our strongest argument in this case. We think the, the purpose and enactment history of the McCarran Act, which is something this Court has, has considered in its prior cases, strongly indicate that Congress did not allow, uh, intend to allow the states to determine the priority of claims against, uh, the, United, the claims of the United States against insolvent insurance companies. The federal priority statute uh, that's at issue in this case is one of the oldest statutes of the United States. It was enacted in 1789. It was the fifth statute enacted by the first Congress. It has remained in effect throughout the history of the United States with very little substantive change. It provides uh, that claims of the United States in non-bankruptcy proceedings shall be paid first. As I said, the court has, has... held in three cases, Moore, Key, and Emory, that only the plainest inconsistency would warrant our finding an implied exception to the operation of so clear a command. Uh, It's uncontested, by the way, that the federal priority statute applies to the claims at issue in this case and would preempt the uh, state priority statute unless it's blocked by the McCarran Act. And we don't believe, looking at the purpose and history of the McCarran Act, that this is what Congress had in mind. And we uh, look first, I think the best way to understand this is chronologically. If you look first at 1936, uh, in that year, this court decided a case, United States Against Not, (laughs) K-N-O-T-T, that involved the application of the federal priority statute to claims of the United States against an insolvent insurance company. Uh, And in that case, the court held that the federal priority statute applied and it preempted uh, an inconsistent state law, a Florida uh, law.
5: Eight years later... Let me, let me stop you with not for a second. I, I, I haven't reread that. Is that the case that said that if the assets had been in trust, they would have not have been part of the estate, and so if, they set up, if the statute had set up the liquidation procedure a little differently, the United States could not have reached the assets?
2: That's absolutely right. That was the principal issue in not, but the first... Part of the holding was that the Federal Priority Statute applied to these claims, as long as they were assets of the insolvent So is,
5: is the ultimately at stake in this case is whether the states perhaps have to adopt a little different program where they make sure these assets are kept in trust and therefore avoid your uh, priority?
2: That, claim. The, that is, uh, the Federal Priority Statute only applies to assets that are of assets of the debtor, that are in the debtor's estate. If the assets were not in the debtor's estate, the federal priority statute would not apply.
5: While I've got you interrupted, could you also explain to me, they have a footnote in their brief that points out that it's only uh, as to insurance companies that uh, this problem exists, because in the bankruptcy code, the statute does not uh, not apply. It seems to me almost perverse for the government to take this position to uh, derogate the claims of policyholders, whereas it doesn't as the general creditors normally. Well, how does that all fit together?
2: Well, that is what Congress has done. Congress amended this priority statute in 1978 when it passed the bankruptcy code, so Congress is very clear that it has the somewhat lower priorities for federal claims and bankruptcy, but it has maintained this first priority. Uh, is it
5: possible that they theory. assume that McCarran-Ferguson, Fer- even though I understand your argument to the contrary, took care of the insurance companies? It just I, seems to be a senseless distinction. Now, maybe there's a reason. I, I have a strong
2: argument that I'd like to make in a second, but I don't think it's necessarily a senseless distinction. If you recognize that Congress is not writing these priorities, there's actually a difficult problem of drafts, draftsmanship that occurs when you may have two competing priority systems, but Congress may have felt that if it's not writing the priorities and federal judges are not applying them, that it's going to stick with the old first priority from uh, from 1798, and I, we don't think that's uh, unreasonable. But let me uh, get back to our, uh, very quickly, go through our argument about purpose and enactment history. Uh, eight years after not, in 1944, the court decided the Southeastern Underwriters uh, case that held that the business of insurance is interstate commerce. That was what precipitated the McCarran-Ferguson Act one year later in 1945. This court has recognized time and time again that McCarran was a response to Southeastern underwriters. It was basically intended to turn back the clock to the days prior to that decision uh, by giving back to the states their traditional authority to tax and regulate uh, the business of insurance. Uh, Congress made clear that it did not intend to confer any additional regulatory authority on the states that they did not possess prior to southeastern underwriters and of course this court had held in not prior to southeastern underwriters that the states had no authority to overrule the federal priority statute in insurance company insolvency proceedings it's not surprising that the court reached that result in not and reached it unanimously because prior to uh, southeastern underwriters and prior to the mccarran act even under the a narrow view of the Commerce Clause that prevailed as to insurance companies at that time, it was clear that Congress had the power to enact a federal priority statute under the Bankruptcy Clause, under a separate head of power under the Constitution. So we think it would be extraordinary to conclude that in enacting the McCarran Act, Congress intended to expand the regulatory authority of the states beyond the authority that they had traditionally exercised and to leave the determination of the priority of claims of the United States entirely uh, to the states, which predictably would result in uh, the kind of uh, priority statute that we have here, where the claims of the United States are not only subordinated to claims of policyholders, but also to claims of general creditors, uh, which of course can't possibly uh, be justified on the basis of uh, protecting policyholders. So to summarize our argument, Uh, We think the Ohio Priority Statute falls outside the ordinary meaning of the business of insurance because it does not regulate any business activity of insurers. We think it does not satisfy this Court's three-part test for defining the business of insurance, which is a narrow and demanding test. And finally, it was clearly not part of the state's traditional authority prior to Southeastern underwriters and the McCarran Act to regulate the priority of claims of the United States. And the uh, McCarran Act was passed to restore, but not expand, the state's authority. Mr. Chief Justice, if there are no further questions, I'd like to reserve the balance of my time.
0: Very well, Mr. Long. Uh, Mr. Rochelle, we'll hear from you.
6: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, there's one point that I want to make clear at the outset before going to the core legal question in this case, and that is, even after an insurance company is found to be insolvent, it still functions as an insurance company with respect to the claims of its policyholders that arose before a finding of insolvency. The company's contractual relationship with these policyholders is unchanged, the risk the company assumed upon contracting with these policyholders remains and is still being developed, and the company's obligation to pay these claims of these policyholders is unsatisfied, unrelieved. The co-
4: that would lead to the conclusion, I suppose, that uh, the trustee in bankruptcy of a uh, uh, an insolvent insurance company uh, is subject to... Uh, entirely state regulation because that's the business of, the, of insurance, right? Largely, that's true. Does that mean the uh, Federal Bankruptcy Act, can't, uh, that, that, that state could have rules that uh, that contradict the Federal Bankruptcy Act?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely, and we do. Uh, in, in insurance insolvency, a winding up is, is not governed by the federal bankruptcy laws, it's governed by an entire chapter of our revised code that provides for the uh, uh, all the provisions with respect to the authority of the superintendent of insurance when he winds up in an insolvent company.
4: They do not go into federal court at all?
6: No, they do not, Your Honor. In fact, we've cited cases in our brief uh, where officers, directors, or owners of insurance companies have tried to take insurance companies into federal bankruptcy in bankruptcy court arguing that once there was a finding of insolvency, they were no longer an insurance company, they were something else. And the federal courts have held that the insolvency of the company does not change the entity. It is still an insurance company, and it cannot be a debtor in federal bankruptcy court.
1: Mm -hmm. You said the insurance company is liable for claims that arose before the insolvency?
6: Yes, Your Honor. That was the point I made as respect. It's, not, it's unchanged as to those. Uh, now, as to the uh, core legal test here from the court's case in Perino, we believe that test applies, and we believe the statute meets that test. I don't...
1: Bring the winding up.
6: Well, uh, Justice White, there is typically in these insolvencies a provision of state law that terminates those... The, the termination policy is usually 30 or 60 days after a finding of insolvency. Right. A notice goes out, the policyholders are afforded an opportunity to get in coverage, and the coverage is cut off right. Right. Um, so as to minimize uh, the claims and maximize the assets that can be distributed.
1: And what, what, do the, uh, what right does the policyholder whose policy has been canceled have against the insurance company? If he has
6: a claim
1: that not oh, w- if he has a claim does he say he hasn't had any accidents or anything he just normally he might have been able to cancel his policy and get a refund
6: well he can he can get a return of the premiums okay okay uh, if, but he, if there's any money it, well, if there's any money yeah would would,
1: would, would would that claim be among the preferred uh,
6: it would it uh, would be the same class as if there were it would be classified the same as if the policyholder had a claim. Okay. Uh, with respect to the application, Rochelle,
3: um, how about the provision of the Ohio statute uh, giving priority to general creditors over the federal government? How does uh, that relate to the business of insurance and well, all within the exception? I,
6: I think I think it gets to uh, a question that's really not the legal question here, Your Honor, and that is the question isn't how has Ohio chosen? To regulate the business of insurance. The question is whether we have chosen to regulate the business of insurance. (laughs) I don't think that question would be changed if the order in our statute were the state of Ohio gets its claims paid first, the federal government's claims are paid next, and then the policyholders claims are paid. From a practical standpoint we might not be here, but the legal question is the same. It's not how Ohio has regulated the the payment of claims in the event of insolvency is that we have done that we have regulated
3: well do you think we have to look at each provision of the statute to see whether it survives or you think we have to look at it as a whole
6: no i don't think you need to look at each provision i think you have to look at it as a whole and ask does it does it do something to regulate the relationship between the insolvent company and and its policy holders effectuate the payment of claims and it does that and as I said the question isn't how have we regulated is the question is have we regulated the business of insurance as defined by the court in Perino
1: I'm gathered from your brief that you were uh, asserting that the protection of policyholders was the really the primary purpose of this uh, liquidation process?
6: In actuality and practice, it is, 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 Your Honor, but it need not be to satisfy this person. I know, but
1: but it's pretty hard to think that the primary purpose is uh, protection of policyholders if you put some other claims ahead
4: of it.
6: Well, in terms of the administrative claims that are ahead of it, uh, that's normal. That's normal, and and also the the minute second class of claims, employee wages up to a thousand dollars. That's fairly typical. Also in uh, in other claims priorities, and they they really don't. Oh, I know, that. but it
1: this still cuts into what policy policyholders get.
6: Well, it it would to a certain extent. Well, in it, it, in, in this case, the the assets of this company have grown uh-huh. from the time of insolvency. From about 26 million up to over uh, 68 million, and, uh, and that's after all the administrative expenses have been paid.
1: And you think that, uh, and you think that it was perfectly proper to, as a regulation of insurance, to, to put uh, general creditors ahead of the United States.
6: Yes, Your Honor, I do, yeah. and uh, the state okay. of Ohio yeah. put them in front of their own claims, also. Now, as to Perino. Uh, I would agree with the Solicitor General this morning that uh, his argument is to the effect I believe that you can 't just have a mechanical application of this test, as he says in his brief you have to you have to appreciate the pedigree of perino and I, I would also say that 's the essence of perino, and that comes from national securities and the real essence of this whole question is whether or not the state law is aimed at protecting uh, regulating the relationship between the company and policyholders, either directly and indirectly. If so, those laws are the business of insurance. With respect to uh, the three tests of Perino, if I could start with the third test, the statute only applies to insurance companies. It's limited to an entity that's in the insurance business, and that's the insolvent company, uh, and all the claims against the insurance company are claims against the insurance company. I think Perino is easily satisfied. Now, as to this third test, the the government interjects a requirement that I don't think is in this court's opinions or or is logical, and they say in their brief that the regulation has to be peculiar or or unique to the business of insurance. I don't read that any place in the court's cases, nor does it make any sense, because uh, licensing is not a, a unique form of state regulation of insurance, but uh, licensing or state laws which regulate the licensing of insurance companies clearly regulate the business of insurance. As to the second test of Perino, uh, the Ohio statute reinforces the contractual relationship between the insurer and insured and... Oh, excuse it, it, me,
4: I think, I think what the government is saying is suppose you have a, a licensing law that um, uh, that requires you to get a license to dispose of uh, of, of water into the street or something And any business that wants to dispose of water has to get that license that would not be even though an insurance company also with other businesses has to get that license that would not be a law regulating
6: insurance no absolutely it would not
4: well that's what the government means by the fact that the law must be one directed at insurance not a general one
6: I, I, I agree with that but I don't think that's the point maybe I wasn't clear they said it had to be peculiar this type of regulation had to be peculiar, and since priority statutes weren't peculiar to insurance, they couldn't satisfy the third prong of the prino test. That was my point. I don't think it has to be peculiar. I think it has to regulate the business of insurance.
4: But if there were a separate uh, priority statute just for
6: insurance, your answer would be different. Just for insurance company wind-ups. I don't understand your the the, Maybe I'm confused on something. Is the Ohio Priority Statute a general statute which happens to mention insurance companies, or does it apply by its terms only to insurance company bankruptcy? It applies only to insurance company insolvencies, Your Honor. It does not apply as a general proposition to anything but insurance companies. So that you can say that the priority statute is limited within the meaning of Perino? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I uh, to uh,
1: paying off all the creditors of the insurance company uh, before the uh, United States claims, and it may be that uh, some of the debts that they owe uh, has hardly any connection with an insurance company.
6: Well they would uh, as to the general creditors I mean all the all the debts that are avail- uh, that are before except for general creditors relate to the actual business of insurance the policyholders I mean that's that's what uh, the statute regulates that's why it prefers those claims now as to uh, these the second criteria as I said it, it, we believe it's integral to the whole policy relationship it it, it undergirds that that relationship at a time when um, uh, The the policyholder is is truly in a situation where they may not uh, get paid, Uh, and it also satisfies the first prong of the Perino test because it effectuates on a continuing basis the actual spreading of risk among policyholders. The uh, arguments by the government as to the uh, guarantee fund. My response to that is, yes, guarantee funds exist. Uh, Yes, they pay some policyholder claims, uh, but that doesn't matter. The uh, best evidence of the fact that guarantee funds are not the panacea that might be suggested is the fact that the federal government's claim for $10.7 million is still unpaid. It's not covered by any guarantee fund, like many claims uh, against the insurance company here. They're not covered by the guarantee funds because they rose out of bonds. Uh, Guarantee funds, and I'll use Ohio's as as an indication, the Ohio Guarantee Fund uh, has a definition of what's a covered claim, and then it has 18 enumerated exceptions from that coverage. It also has a monetary limit. So as to those policyholders whose claims are not covered by guarantee funds or are not covered in whole by guarantee funds, the only chance they have to receive the protection they purchased is through the insolvency procedures in the uh, state of Ohio. As to the not decision, I thought that the Solicitor General did uh, an excellent job of distinguishing that case from this case in his reply brief on page 14. uh, His footnote number 9, I believe, the last sentence at the bottom of the page says, uh, federal uh, not, and he gives a citation federal priority statute inapplicable if state statute divest insurance company of title to assets. I think that's a very succinct holding of this, company, uh, this uh, court's uh, decision and not. And then I'd ask you to look at uh, Appendix Page A3 in our brief, uh, Section 3903.18 of the Ohio Revised Code, another section of our Insurance Liquidation Act which says, the liquidator shall be vested by operation of law with the title to all of the property contracts and rights of action and all of the books and records of the insurer ordered liquidated wherever located as of the entry of the final order of liquidation. So what didn't happen and not happened here, and that as a matter of law, the title to the assets passed to the superintendent of insurance. And not is, is not is just plainly not applicable to yeah, this. They case. didn't
5: pass before their federal priority lien attached, did they?
6: It passed at the moment oh. of insolvency. Yeah, but that's Absolutely. also
5: when the federal priority lien attached. Uh,
6: at at yes, that's one of the criteria. We have a
5: tie there, is this, <laughs> who who wins on this?
6: Well, point? I think. Well, I I don't think we have a tie, your honor. I don't think this this act applies. Uh, the the history given by uh, counsel is interesting, but I think the most an interesting piece of the whole enactment history was Senator Ferguson's answer to a question of whether or not this law applied to all federal laws at the time and his answer was a simple yes that's the intent of it and the statute says no act of Congress and then it enumerates certain... Well, now you're sections. going
5: into the McCarran-Ferguson argument rather than the distinction of not.
6: That's, that's correct.
5: Yeah, but, but but I, I was uh, just questioning whether you really had a valid distinction of the not case.
6: Well, I, I do, if I can get back to that. Uh, in, the, in the not case, the federal government went after certain monies that had been on deposit in Florida. Right. Uh, they were placed there by a, a New Jersey company that became insolvent and went into rehabilitation in New Jersey. And the federal government went after those special deposits in Florida. It didn't come after the assets no, and the it Kansas did not. It was not
5: able to reach those deposits in Florida either.
6: No, it, it was. I mean, they, they were in, in that case, they were granted... Priority to those assets in Florida United States was the United States was yes, yes uh, now so they, they, they didn 't go after those assets here they went after the assets, the title to which have transferred to the superintendent of insurance, so not, not as distinguishable and indeed uh, the, the law and not. A, I think supports our position well, Did the, owner, the, did the
5: lower court in this case uh, address this argument? You're, you're, I understood Mr. Long to acknowledge that if the property was not part of the liquidation estate, the United States would have no claim. Now you're arguing that it was not part of the estate. If that's right, I think we don't even have to look at the McCarran Act. The,
6: the, the, the property is part of the estate. The question is whether or not the title to the property remains in the company and not the title to those assets in Florida remained in the company. It didn't become assets of the estate. The assets the government seeks here are the assets of the liquidation estate, the title to which passed to the superintendent of insurance.
5: But but, but am I correct that you are now arguing that you win regardless of how we construe the McCarran Act?
6: Well, I, I, I think we have the better position on not uh, and and uh, I think if you apply the test from Perino, we win. Yes.
5: Well, but Perino's got to do with the McCarran. I mean. Right. But, but I'm trying to understand if the if the assets are not part of the estate, then the United States doesn't reach them under the under the statute. And if you're right, that that would have been a simple way for the court of the uh, court of appeals to decide the case. But they didn't, as I understand it. they didn't. No, they did
6: that. not. They applied yeah. the uh, the test from Perino after yeah. examining the other cases. Did they make this argument? with the Court of Appeals? We made basically the same arguments. Uh, About not? Uh, we, made, we tried to distinguish not. Uh, what I didn't have in the Court of Appeals is what I have here, and that's uh, the Solicitor general's uh, distinction of the case, which I think is terrific. Uh, in conclusion, uh, the Court of Appeals correctly found that the Ohio Statute is part and parcel of large, complex, specialized administrative system adopted by the State of Ohio to regulate the life of a domestic insurance company from inception to dissolution, pursuant to the authority granted to the State by McCarran-Ferguson. The government would transform that complex specialized administrative system into a claims collection process for the primary benefit of the federal government, to allow the federal government to assert a priority under the Federal Claims Priority Act but allow for the very federal statutory interference with state regulation, which Congress eliminated in McCarran-Ferguson. Under a correct application of the McCarran-Ferguson Act, the phrase business of insurance is defined by this court. We believe that the federal government's claim against the American Drug Insurance Company is to be determined by the Ohio statute and not by the Federal Claims Priority Act. Uh, We would respectfully request the court to affirm the decision of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Rochelle. Mr. Long, you have seven minutes remaining.
4: Thank you, Mr. Long, before you get into anything else, does the government agree with the proposition that the Bankruptcy Act doesn't apply to... Yes, that's correct. Congress has... Well, then, then I really have trouble with uh, with the rest of your argument. If, indeed, a trustee in bankruptcy is conducting the business of insurance... Well, Congress cannot imagine how his paying out to one or another claimant or the order in which he pays out to claimant isn't part of the business of insurance.
2: Well, Congress has expressly provided that insurance company insolvencies shall not be handled through the federal bankruptcy process. But in passing the federal bankruptcy code, they also uh, amended this federal priority statute that we have Here before us today, the amendment said that the federal priority statute shall not apply in proceedings under the federal bankruptcy code because of the different priorities Congress established. But Congress left, in effect, uh, the federal priority statute, the first priority as to non-bankruptcy proceedings, and there was no indication that it intended... Uh, to change the rule that the, that the Federal Priority Statute applies in insurance company insolvency proceedings, just as it applies in other types of state uh, receiverships and in proceedings against insolvent estates of decedents. What is
4: the provision that renders the Bankruptcy Act inapplicable? It's a provision of Bankruptcy Act itself. It's not just simply McCarran. Yes.
2: I'm so, I believe it's cited in our brief, and I'm sorry I do not... Uh, cannot remember it, but it is yeah. expressly provided right. in the bankruptcy code that it shall not apply to uh, bankruptcies of insurance companies and financial institutions. I see.
4: Well, might not that be considered an acknowledgment uh, in the bankruptcy code that uh, that the United States considers uh, a bankruptcy trustee to be engaging in the uh, business of insurance?
2: No, we think, we think the opposite, and that's a, really our basic position in this case, is that Congress has always been... Uh, very precise about priorities of claims of the United States. It's always decided that for itself. When it wanted the United States to have any position other than first, it said so, and it has done that in the Federal Bankruptcy Act. It has excluded insurance company insolvencies from the bankruptcy code, but it has left in effect, and it's amended in 78 and again in 1982. This federal priority statute, which this court has held many times, is very broad, is very clear, And and this court will not imply an exception to its clear command unless Congress has has very clearly indicated that there must be one. And the the, uh, history of the McCarran-Ferguson Act plainly indicates that this was not what Congress had in mind. Uh, Let me say just a word about not. I think the distinction suggested this morning, which is a new suggestion, was not argued below, Uh, doesn't work anyway. The the federal priority statute has been applied many times over the years when a receiver has been appointed or a liquidator to take over the assets of an insolvent debtor. That's one of the classic acts of bankruptcy. That's one of the uh, main situations in which the statute is triggered. And the court has never held that that works, uh, it moves the assets away from the debtor. It's, It's the debtor's estate at that point. The assets are still there. They're just in the a debtor's estate.
1: The statute uh gives the U- U- United States priority over administrative expenses in the liquidation?
2: Yes. Uh that is it it is a first priority in practic- the practice of the government has always been to allow uh you know reasonable administrative expenses to be paid. And I should add that we also have a practice But that's
1: just a matter of grace, I gather.
2: Yes. Yes, all right. Uh, And we also have a practice of granting a release once claims of the United States have been settled so that there's not uncertainty about whether the United States will come forward with additional claims.
5: Mr. Long, you talk about the practice of the United States. Have there been a fair number of uh, state uh, liquidation proceedings involving insurance companies in which there's been no contest about the federal government's priority? Uh, There don't seem to be many cases on
2: that. I tried to find that out from the
5: in uh, the, the basis federal of your government, statement about practice. I,
2: I think there were not a great number of insolvencies, and uh, the United States often didn't file claims in the past. And also, this uh, practice of the states of prioritizing claims and placing the United States rather low seems to have begun only in the late 60s in Wisconsin. It's a, it's a fairly recent development. We don't have claims in every insurance company insolvency proceeding because we often don't have any. Uh, Bonds with a company may not have any tax claims. Um, ba- the basic argument here today uh, by a respondent is that any state law aimed at protecting policyholders uh, is a regulation of the business of insurance within the meaning of McCarran Ferguson. We think that is too broad a definition. We think that is inconsistent with this court's prior decisions. And in particular, that would be inconsistent with the um, antitrust. Uh, the application of the antitrust laws to the business of insurance, which is also at issue here and is also an in interest of the of the federal government, so we urge the court not to uh, reject its prior decisions and adopt uh, that much broader test. And, I mean, it, it really is true that, in a general sense, every state law regulating insurance companies is aimed at protecting policyholders. Uh, and uh, finally, very briefly, on the third uh, factor, there was a uh, argument that something that's not unique to the insurance industry shouldn't be covered by this factor. Uh, in fact, the, the purpose of that factor, this Court has said, is to recognize the importance of intra-industry competition. Congress thought that was particularly important in the insurance business that insurance companies needed to cooperate. Um, on rates and uh, statistical information and so forth so we think that is actually a relevant consideration although again our our principal submission under that factor is that a lot of these claims involve the ordinary business relationships of an insurance company with suppliers of goods and services like the uh, relationship in royal drug uh, with pharmacies that this court said was not a part of the business of insurance if there are uh, no further questions I thank the court
0: Thank you, Mr. Long. The case is submitted. We'll hear argument next.